Welcome to Make Things That Matter, the podcast where we explore impactful products and the cultures that create them. I'm your host, Andrew Scottsko, and if I'm doing my job well, each episode of this show will help you to do meaningful work, make things that make things better, and have a great experience doing it. My guest in this conversation is Diane Frommelt. Diane has deep experience in the HR tech world and someone I consider super knowledgeable about how we build the future of work and shape the employee experience. Diane's currently the VP of product for 15.5, a company that I am a longtime fan of, and they are on a mission to help their customers create high-performing, highly engaged teams. Diane leads the product group at 15.5, and they're turning that company vision into a customer-centric, data-driven product strategy that results in a tool that helps everyone who uses it to be and become their best selves. You know that that just pulls on all of my heartstrings, and I love that so much. So in this conversation, we go deep on the types of practices that each of us can use to infuse our values as an individual and a company into our team's operating rhythms. We talk about what does it look like to craft a strategy and navigate these road mapping conversations? How do we think about outcomes and connecting frontline employees with executives and having them all be thinking the same way? How do we align all of that? How does one approach taking on the leadership of an existing team rather than a team that we get to build from scratch and so much more? And if nothing else, you're going to walk away from this conversation with a tactical set of practices to try that are going to help you and those you work with to feel much more connected and to have deeper, more trusting relationships. So please enjoy learning with Diane Frommelt. Diane, welcome to the show. How are you today? Thank you. I'm great. Thanks so much for being here. You know, right before we hit record, we were just chit-chatting about strategy. Strategy is one of these words that everybody knows, but nobody knows. And I know it's a world that you've been spending a lot of time thinking about lately. And I'm just really curious, A, what are you learning in real time about how to do this well and about how to, how not to do this? Because I think it's like one of those things that we can all help each other do this better. Anytime somebody brings up strategy... One of our leaders at ADP, Don Weinstein, he has this great expression, which is there's the difference between strategy and bullshit is execution, right? So if you (laughs) you can't figure out a way to execute on your strategy, then you've really just got like a nice big pile of of BS. So that I always think about that whenever I think about strategy. And I think we overcomplicate it, right? Because it's it's as simple as what are the steps that we are going to take to achieve the thing that we want to achieve? And how do we do that in a differentiated way? I mean, that's the way I try to simplify strategy. Because otherwise, like I said, I feel like we we totally overcomplicate that. So in sitting here and and having lots of conversations with our senior leadership team about where it is we want to go in 2021, you know, now from a business perspective, I have a much clearer picture of where we want to go. It's like, what are those steps that we have to build within the product? What are the customer outcomes that we want to affect? What are the problems that we want to solve that are ultimately going to get us there? And that's at the heart of what we do as product managers, right? Is align those problems that we know our customers are facing, the problems that they are actually willing to pay to solve that takes the business in the direction where we want to take it. So yeah, that's it. Podcast over. It's that easy. Boom, done. <laughs> Drop that mic. Yeah, no, it's funny. I was I was having a conversation with somebody yesterday about this and and I love this frame she gave me. So this is new to me as of you know 24 hours ago. And she was she was talking about this idea of built-in tension between what we want and then what we need. I've always viewed that tension as a problem, right? It's like, damn it, there's this difference between this vision that we want and we're excited about and then like what we've got to do in the next three months or whatever period of time. And this, she gave me this sort of reframe that I wanted to share with you that I thought might be, maybe it'll be useful where she's like, yeah, what if you look at that, that tension isn't a bad thing. It's actually the creative constraint that is going to open a doorway to aligned growth. How might you get what you need in a way that's fully aligned and taking you in the direction of what you want? So it's not always like the world we want, like kicking that can down the road. 
That is definitely a difficult one because what we think we want isn't always necessarily aligned with where the business wants to go. And I think sometimes that that is the tension that product managers feel. And sometimes they don't feel heard, right? Because you've got a senior leadership team that's saying like, we've got to go down this road and product managers who talk to customers every day saying, well, no, 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 like, we really need to go down this road, but that's not the road where the business wants to go down. So definitely experience that tension at 15.5. And like, we have really good, you know, conversations about that. We actually ha- have just had a whole lot of uh, talk in our, our senior leadership retreat last week about getting members of our senior leadership team a lot closer to customers, having more frequent, you know, regular conversations with customers so that what the product manager hearing from customers and our senior leadership team is hearing is aligned. So let's start with the basics. For anyone who's not familiar already with 15.5 and and performance management and best self-management particularly, just what is that just for the listener who doesn't know that already? 15.5 is a product that provides continuous performance management, employee engagement, and uh, a set of tools for managers that really allow managers and employees to become their best selves. You know, our mission is to create high-performing teams, highly engaged organizations, that is all sort of in this wrapper of what we call best self-management. So really the roots of 15.5 are what we call the 15.5 the check-in. And it was a process that was actually conceived by uh, Yvonne Chouinard, who is the CEO of Patagonia. He wasn't with his teams, right? He was off traveling the world, you know, climbing mountains. This is like how he kept tabs on things when he was like rock climbing in, you know, Argentina, right? Exactly, exactly. So how do I, you know, keep track on on what's going on uh, with the business? So he developed this practice where every employee would spend 15 minutes providing him an update on what are you working on? Where are you blocked? How are you feeling about things this week? And then the five comes from managers, you know, reviewing that. He would re- review each of those reports he got from his team members, and it would take him five minutes to review those reports. So it was this practice called 15-5. So David Hassel, who was our CEO, it's about eight or nine years ago, was a fan of this practice, and he developed what has started out as the 15-5 check-in. And then from there, we just really grew um, into being, you know, a, a full suite product uh, for HR leaders, you know, to help them with performance management, like I said, uh, employee engagement. But we're really not focused on what a, a lot of uh, products are in, in performance management, which really is this, you know, process where you set goals in the beginning of the year, you kind of forget about them. And then the end of the year comes along and you, you dust off those goals. And, and then, you you know, managers and employees are kind of giving a summary of how we did against those goals for the year. And we come up with a performance rating and we sort of move on. And that's not the objective in 15.5. We want a performance review process within 15.5 that is really about self-discovery for employees, about helping managers and giving managers tools to um, help develop their people so that when you do have a performance conversation quarterly or mid-year or you know at the end of the year, it's not about, well, you're you're a, th- a three or you're a four or, you know, you're exceptional or, you know, meets or expectations needs yeah, you know, or, or needs improvement, right? We want those conversations to be more about how you can get better, about how you can develop and how you can become your best self. So that's really sort of the, the cornerstone of 15.5. I first learned about 15.5, I don't know, two years ago and, and kind of was an instant fanboy. And by the way, I will give a shout out and we'll link to this in the show notes. Uh, they have a fantastic podcast called the Best Self-Management Podcast that I have absolutely binged. Uh, anybody who's into this show is also going to like that one. So I will link to it in the show notes. Please go listen to it. Absolutely love it. It's a really good show. And I'm not just saying that. I legitimately love it. <laughs> <laughs> no, it really is. I, I listen to it. I do. It is. 
And so one of the things that I really love, and I, I admire this so much, anytime I encounter this in a product organization or a startup or, or really anybody who's trying to make a certain change in the world is that many companies you encounter, they love to talk about the big vision and how they're making the world better. And you know that has become such a parody of things. My gut check for when it's authentic is when I see that it's not just about the vision, but it's about the people the vision's supposed to help. And the way I, I often look for that is that it's about who can your customers become. 15.5 is a, is a tool that's not just a tool. It's like, actually, there's a sort of an ideology behind it. There's, you're trying to change how people run their teams and lead their organizations and be and become their best selves. And I just, I just really wanted to underscore that for the listener that like this, as you think, listen to this whole conversation, keep that in the background that this is really about a customer sort of transformational journey. And that's a really good thing as like a, North Star. That's what it looks like to do it well. So I just wanted to give you guys a, a shout out on that. Well, thank you for that. Yeah, that's actually one of our values is create customer transformation. When David Hassel and Shane Metcalf and Nazar Anaviv, who started 15.5, they didn't want to just build a product. I mean, they really wanted to build a company that was different, that really cared about people, not just in their work life, but in their whole life. And by doing that, you know, people are going to show up better at work when you really care about them. And giving people tools to really unlock their potential is a heart of everything that we do. So it's one of the things that attracted me to 15.5, right? It's not, it's not just a company. It's uh, when, I, when I started researching 15.5 and, and understood what they were about and the culture that they have, it's, it's honestly like no place I've ever worked. It's really, it's pretty incredible. Yeah. Now let's talk about that a little more. I'd love to hear because I think your journey from ADP, what had you make that call to say, you know what, I'm going to take the leap from this really well-established company to this, this sort of upstart in the space. So I had been at ADP, I think at that point for about 24 years on and off. I started out as a, uh, as a software engineer coding COBOL mainframe back in the 90s and sort of wound my way through uh, uh, the space of HR and payroll and benefits and kind of ended up on, on the product management side. I was happy there, but kind of feeling like I was getting a little bit stale. But it's when you're in a 70-year-old organization that has really, really good performance, you know, financial performance and and it's got a lot of tenure. So like you build really long relationships with people. It is really hard to walk away from, you know, and the financial stability, of course, it's, that's obviously hard. I got two kids, you know, one in college, like that's hard to walk away from. There was something missing in terms of the types of products I wanted to build, the type of culture that I wanted to be part of. And it always wanted to work in a smaller organization. Because one of the tough things when you work in a big company is it's just, there's a lot of red tape and everybody's very well-intentioned, but when you're trying to build a product where you use lots of shared services, there's lots of coordination across teams that are, you know, sitting literally across the country. Uh, it's just, it's hard to get anything done. It's just really hard. And yeah, we were successful and we, we did a great job, but it's just, it's, it's hard to be a product manager in a really large organization. So I started looking and I said, you know, if I'm going to leave ADP, it's going to be for a product that I really, really care about. It's going to be for a very different kind of culture. And I really would love to understand what it's like to be in product in a growth company, right? And in something that was a lot smaller. So this opportunity popped up for 15.5. And like I said, I kind of, I started researching the product. It's sort of in my wheelhouse because at ADP, I had worked on uh, talent management and performance management for a long time. And uh, so I started researching them and, and understanding what they were doing. And I was like getting to understand more about David and sort of his, his background. And I was realizing that they were approaching this topic in a really, really different way and feeling very close to how I was feeling about the way that HR should be looking at this uh, 
looking at this topic. And then when I started to learn more about their culture, I got really excited. And in fact, what I what I did was you mentioned the podcast. While I was in my interview process, I happened to be traveling a whole lot. And I, so I was like on a plane, like probably every three or four days. So I listened to literally every podcast. I think at that point, they had maybe 18 or so episodes that were out. Mm-hmm. I listened to every one of the podcasts. This is like, it's a great way to get to know people too, right? You feel like you know them. Yeah, exactly. So having David and Shane in my head and, and they, you know, just shared lots of stories about things that they did at 15.5, like, by the time I was like three or four podcasts in, I remember saying to my husband, like, I don't know what I'm going to do if I can't join this organization. I resonate with everything they say. Like, I'm really feeling like this is the right place for me. But of course, in the back of my head thinking like, I work for a relic. Like, I am not what they are looking for, right? I doubt like the last person they want is a VP of product for like from a 70-year-old company. I'm sure they've got like a, a line of, of good VPs that have come out of startups that they would want to, that they're going to be a lot more attracted to than me. But I forged ahead and 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 here I am. Yeah. So I had a great conversation with the team and and the the first thing that just really got me excited about 15.5 in my interview process was my first round of interviews was not with anybody in the senior leadership team. It was with the team of product managers. So I met with one product manager first, and then uh, a team of four product managers. We did like a, you know, a panel interview. And that spoke so much to me that they cared so much about their opinion that they were the first round of interviews. Then I met with David and he shared his vision with me and it was all history after that. Boom. There it is. You know, I want to ask you about something. There's a buzzword that I'm trying to get my head around that I know is sort of encompassing the space that 15.5 plays in, the future of work. And it's one of these terms that on the surface, you're like, oh, yeah, I get it. And then as I sit there and I think about it for a minute, I don't get it. And I don't know what it means. And I'm curious, like, when people ask you that, what what would you say that means? What is the future of work? How should one think about that? Yeah, Josh Burson actually has a great article about the future of work. And I think he's done a couple of talks too. But I mean, I there's my hope for what the future of work is. And then there's like, so I mean, obviously, you know, remote having a remote workforce is, is here to stay, right? I think when we all sort of were thrown into this tizzy back in March, you know, we all thought, well, you know, this will be for a couple of months. And and then like really quickly within the first couple of weeks, you know, we started to realize, okay, like this is, this is not just a couple of months. This is going to go on for a while. And obviously now coming on the back end of that, you've got so many companies who are saying like, no, we're, we're just going to go with a remote first workforce. So I think that that's a, a reality that's here to stay. And, you know, I think an, another trend that we see is we talk to a lot of customers that just they just really want to take care of their people, right? I, we're all under a tremendous amount of stress. People are trying to work with their kids being at home. We've got the people being worried about social injustice. And uh, there's just a high sense of care that companies need to have for their employees. And I think it's it's now more than ever. And I really think that relationship between managers and employees is also you know more important than ever because I'm not... I'm not walking the halls and and having water cooler conversations with people anymore, right? I'm having very limited touch points over a screen and like that your relationship with your manager is your lifeline, right? Back to uh, back to the company. So I think that's one of the realities that that's, that's here to stay. And, and, that, and that's one of the reasons at 15.5 that we're just so passionate about up-leveling managers and giving managers tools that they need to be there for their employees. But the technology is not a silver bullet, right? There's also a lot of, I think managers used to be the person that sort of managed the work, right? And they were super tactical and figuring out what people needed to do. And and the re- the other reality of the future of work is we're all in network teams, right? So I like me personally, 
you know, I have a team of, of nine product managers. I don't work with each one of them day in and day out. They're working with their squads, right? With their, with their agile teams. So I'm not directing their work every day, but I need to be a coach, right? And I need to make sure that I'm providing them with the support that they need. I'm there to remove obstacles. So the role of the managers is really, is really changing a lot too. People are working on dynamic teams. Today, like the org chart, it really means nothing, right? Because that's not where the work is actually being done. The work isn't being done in the org chart, right? The work is being done in these dynamic teams that might come together, do some work and then break apart. And as a manager, how do you support that? And how can you assess performance for someone that you're not working side by side with um, all day long? So there's just so many dynamics that are changing right now. And uh, we're trying to support all of them. And I think the expectations for employees are changing too. Right. So two generations ago, you started at a company and your hope was that, you know, you were going to be there for 30 years and you would get your gold watch and retire. Get your gold watch and right off the sunset. Right, exactly. That is not how people approach work anymore. Right. I want to work in a place that's where I'm doing work that's meaningful to me, where I have a certain level of autonomy, you know, where I believe in what we're building. It's um, or, or, you know, I believe in the work that we're doing or the services that we're providing. Right. I think, like I said, I think the expectations for people at work now are so much different than they were a generation or two ago. So that, that's definitely another trend that we see too. And companies are also looking for people that want to have that growth mindset, right? That really understand where their strengths are, really know, like we, we use Lauren Garnett's. Laura Garnett. Yeah. She was a guest on the show. She's great. Right. I haven't read that book. That's a big, that's, that's a big 15.5 book. Most 15.5ers have read that book. I actually, she was on the show and I discovered her work through the 15.5 podcast. Oh, that's so funny. Yeah, she was on, uh, I think one of the early days of the podcast she was on. Maybe not everyone necessarily uses that term zone of genius. I do think that that's something that companies are looking for now too, is understanding what your strengths are. How do I align you to where your zone of genius is? Because that is where you're going to get into the flow of work and where you're really going to thrive. So I, I think lots of companies are catching on to this and, and they're understanding that these things are really important to employees. And you know, I think some are, are a little slower in, uh, in catching on, but, but I think these are trends that, that uh, aren't going anywhere anytime soon. So when you talk about like the future of work, those are definitely the things that we see. So these are like the tenets of best self-management, right? So growth mindset, zone of genius, psychological safety, intrinsic motivation, and, and positive psychology. And I would say like what we've made part of our values at 15.5 is, is relational mastery. I think that's something that we really live and breathe as, as part of our culture. And that's like providing candor with care and having clearing conversations and things like setting agreements in advance. Those are the foundations of having good relationships with people. And those are things that we kind of live and breathe. Relational mastery sounds like a big idea. Talk to me about that. Yeah. Relational mastery, in, in my opinion, like it is at the heart of good working relationships. The way that we get a, a good relationship started, so you're new to 15.5 and you have what's called a best self kickoff, right? So this is a conversation that you have with your manager and there's a questionnaire that goes along with it and you answer a series of questions and your manager answers the same series of questions. And it's things like, how do I like to receive feedback, right? What's the best way to work with me? What do I believe my strengths are? Where do I think my zone of genius is? It's also a conversation about role clarity, right? So I understand clearly what the expectations are and setting agreements with each other. So we're, we're agreeing about, you know, this, this is how we're going to work together. Like, Hey, if I send you a Slack message over the weekend, I'm just getting something off my plate. You don't have to answer, right? It's like those, those kinds of agreements. And it's about a four hour deep conversation 
And I report to David Hassel, our CEO, and I had, he carved out four hours for me to have, have this conversation. Um, and since then, we've actually put this in the product. So it is a, it is a product. Now. So you can, you can customize it with your own questions, or you can use the questions that we use at 15.5, but it sets the foundation for a really great relationship. And then we also use that as a tool. If we've got new team members that like, even if you're, you know, a, a tenured 15.5er, you might be going to maybe a new squad or maybe you've changed roles and now you're going to go to a new team, we suggest that you have a best self kickoff so that you're talking through roadblocks that might happen before they happen. You know, if there's any concerns about role clarity, we all kind of, you know, come to agreements about how we're going to work together. Sometimes, you know, if we bring new squads together, like the squad will do a best self kickoff together as a squad and they'll sort of set the norms and agreements um, for their for their roles. So that's sort of at the foundation of it. And then, you know, you asked me about uh, clearing conversations. And this is something that's super important as part of our culture. So if you have a disagreement with someone, if you're holding some sort of tension with someone, you know, maybe you've had a conversation that was a little bit acrimonious, you take a little bit of time, you both sort of think about, you know, what might, might be the issue and you get together. And the most important part of a clearing conversation is that you assume positive intent. Right. So yes, maybe I said something to slight you or I, I said something in the wrong way that has offended you, but that was not my intention. And I, and, and you can rely on the fact that I know that that wasn't your intention. And we're going to have this conversation about what happened, knowing that we had uh, the best intentions going in and that we likely all want the same outcome, but we're just approaching it differently. And, and we're going to, we're going to talk through that. Sometimes it, it takes more than one clearing conversation. That's that's happened before, right? Where we just really are butting heads on something. And uh, we've got a great uh, people ops team. And sometimes we bring in somebody for our people ops team to kind of help us navigate these conversations. But we are adamant that those conversations need to happen because holding those tensions and uh, having that lead to, you know, gossip and sort of backdoor conversations about people is not productive. It's really draining and it's just not the way we operate. I think it's safe to say you and I are both, you know, fully bought into this different way of working and, and probably everybody fifteen five is or they wouldn't be there. But I imagine that you encounter a lot of people who don't get it or they're just like, Diane, like, what are you talking about? What do you do about that? Well, it's funny because when I first joined 15.5 and was explaining to people outside the organization, you know, like friends of mine, you know, people calling me, hey, how's the new, how's the new role going? Right. And uh, sort of explaining some of the practices and some of the things that we do. It's like, I think everyone worried that maybe I joined a cult. <laughs> like, that just doesn't sound like corporate America, right? That's not, that's not the American like like, job. Yeah. But it's funny because, you know, I'm what, 10 months in now. And I feel like, how do you not work and have these practices, right? And it's like so clear to me now that especially working in large organizations where people, sometimes you're working with people that you haven't really formed good relationships with, right? So it's like, how do I navigate through a difficult conversation about we disagree on priorities when, when we don't have a foundation for like a good working relationship? Yeah, there's no background of relatedness, no, no like foundation of trust. Exactly, exactly. So like, I can tell you a funny story. So when I first started at 15.5, the timing of my joining the organization was great because 15.5 has an in-person full company retreat once a year. Obviously, 2021 may, may not happen with COVID, but it, it is a practice that they've done every year since the beginning of the company. So I joined a week before the retreat. So I was able to meet everybody in the company within my, my first two weeks. So sitting in one of the presentations at the retreat and um, our VP of sales came in and, um, you know, he gave a presentation and, you know, sales guys are right. He's like ramping up the room, like tons of energy. And the thought bubble over my head is like, all right, frat boy, right? Like I, I've, got, I've got this guy pegged. I, I know his type, right? I put him in that bucket. 
And later that night, we happen to be sat at the same table for dinner. And another 15-5 tradition that we do is something called table questions, right? So there are six questions that typically Shane Metcalf, who's our chief culture officer, he, he writes the questions. And during dinner, everyone goes around the table and answers these questions. So this gentleman, our, our v, one of our VPs of sales, answered a question. It was, I think the question was something about your legacy and you know, what you want to leave as your legacy. And he just talked super passionately about his kids and how he wants to be there for his kids. And it was like, oh, I totally misjudged this person. Like I have saw this person in like a completely different light. And had we had like a normal, what I would call work dinner, right? Which is like superficial conversations about work or, you know, like work watching on Netflix and not having like these deep personal conversations. I don't know that I ever would have taken sort of frat boy out of my perception of him. Makes perfect sense. I'm also really curious about, you know, 15.5 has been a remote company, I think either for a long time or since its inception. And so by now, 15.5 is ninja level at things and many practices and ways of working that a lot of the world is total newbies at leading a distributed team yourself, what are some of the practices, you know, the day-to-day, the -day, week-to-week rhythms that you all employ to really stay connected, right? Because it's, it's one thing to build that foundation of trust and have that amazing dinner in person, right? That's great. But then, you know, you have the months of not being in person. So how do you do that? Yeah, it's tough. You have to be very intentional about building in time to have personal interactions, Right. So one of the things that we do, I do this with my team. Our leadership team does this. I think lots of other teams at 15.5 do this. When we start a meeting, we always start with some kind of question. So it can be as simple as a check-in where we share what we call our intentional energetic presence. It's from a, uh, a book written by uh, Anais Kavanaugh. And it's this, you know, it's basically, how am I feeling today? How am I showing up? And it's a scale of one to 10. So a lot of times we'll start with, well, what's your IEP today? And if it's not above a seven, you know, what, what can we do for you to help you get you to a seven? Or what do you need to do for yourself to kind of get you to a seven? Sometimes we just start with an icebreaker, right? Like who, we'll have like a, a person who's in charge of questions for that month. And that, that person will just ask a question because if we don't, if we just come onto a call and we just jump right into business, there's just no opportunity to build those relationships. So that's one thing that we do. Another thing that we do that people just, cannot believe that, that we do this as, as a practice is we have three weekly company-wide meetings. The entire company gets up on call for a half an hour. We do Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. And uh, each each of those meetings has a different tone and a different purpose. So we call them boosts, right? So it's really like boost everybody's energy, everybody get everybody rallied around something. So typically, is, is like a business update. You know, we get it. We get uh, an update from somebody in the in the rev organization to understand like how are we doing against our numbers. David takes that opportunity to sort of reinforce strategy and and like kind of you know sharpen up as to where we're headed. And it sounds like also there's like total transparency around those numbers, which is very interesting because a lot of places don't do that. Oh yeah, good, the good, the good, the bad, and the ugly, right? So when we're doing really well, we celebrate that, and and when we're not, like it's full transparency, and we talk about it, and we talk about what we can do better. So yeah, that that's that's really important too, is to is to to have that level of transparency. And then you know Wednesdays we typically rotate, and the different department will do an update, and you know do celebrations in terms of like achievements that have been made or things that have been done. And then Fridays uh, we do what we call Question Friday, which is it's so much fun. Every month, there's a different question leader. So for that, we're responsible for coming up with the questions. And we ask a question and Shane, make sure that that question is insightful and has a, has a purpose that you're trying to get out of that question, what you're trying to learn about people from that question. Uh, and then we go into breakout rooms. And typically, it's like 
10, 12 people and everybody answers that question and you just get to know people on such a personal level. Like one time it was like, what would you tell your 18 year old self? You know, we've had questions of like, uh, like, especially during COVID, you know, people were asking a lot of questions of like, how are you surviving? Like, what, what was your, like, one was, what was your favorite restaurant that you haven't been able to go to that you really miss? And why do you miss it? So stuff like that. It's just, it's just an opportunity for us to get to know each other. So it's all of these practices that we have where we're being really intentional about keeping these relationships solid that it just carries then into everything else that we do. How much time does that take? Because I think it's a lot less than people think. It is. So our, our boosts are only a half an hour. So it's a half an hour on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Uh, Fridays are optional. You know, you don't have to come to question Friday, but, but most people do. It's difficult for us too, because we're in so many different time zones. So we have Europe, we have folks on the East Coast in the U.S. and folks on the West Coast of the U.S. So uh, we, we do it at noon Eastern time, which, you know, is a, a little late for people on in Europe and it's a little early for people on the West Coast. But that's another agreement that we have is that, you know, we, we try to work on Eastern time zone as much as possible and people who are not on Eastern time zones kind of stretch a little bit and, and we, we work around that and make that work. So, yeah, so it's like an hour and a half a week but just so well worth it to just keep everybody connected and focused on uh, where, you know, where we need to keep everybody focused. Certainly. And when you think about like how many other meetings that takes off the calendar, it's probably a great ROI. Like, you know, there's so many wasted, terrible meetings out there that like, if you just got rid of those and did this instead, you'd, you'd probably come out way ahead. Well, in the absence of information, people go negative, right? So if we weren't talking about our numbers and we weren't continuing to reinforce strategy or announcing when we're making strategic changes and why we're making them, people are sort of hearing about that, you know, through like the cascading of from their manager and they hear it from their manager. It's not the same as hearing it direct David or, you know, hearing it, you know, some, something from Shane. It's just, it's, uh, it, it's worth every moment that we spend on those. I want to shift gears a little bit and talk about more of not 15.5 as a whole, but the product organization, how you're leading it. I think you've done something that is a very difficult thing for a product leader, which is that you came into a fast growing organization and you took leadership of a group that already was formed, right? You didn't get a blank slate here. You inherited a really great team, it sounds like, and, and a really strong set of principles and cultures and all sort of things like that, which on the one hand, fantastic, right? Really sets you up and the team up for success. But I'm also curious about, because a lot of people I know, I think would struggle with that, uh, a feeling like they couldn't put their spin on it or make their mark on it because they were, quote unquote, inheriting somebody else's vision. How did you think about that? Like, what were some of the decisions that have shaped your thinking about taking leadership of this organization and how you want to shape it? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And um, I had a lot of confidence because of the way the interview process was handled. Because I had several meetings with the product managers, I was really confident that we were all on the same page, right? And the vision that I had for a product organization aligned really well to the kind of product organization that they wanted to be part of. So yeah, it is not easy to inherit a team. I've done both. I've built teams and I've inherited teams. And it's super unfortunate when you inherit a group of people that you maybe wouldn't have hired. But I'm really fortunate that that, that was not the situation here. I, I inherited a really, really strong team. And because we had so many deep conversations before I joined, I was really confident that, that we were on the same page. And we've just forged like a really great working relationship. They're just super open to trying new things. The reality, though, is like, even though we're not a massive organization, like when I was at ADP, right? Of like, you know, hundreds of product managers, you know, there's, there's us all together. It's still hard to change. Like we can't move on a dime, right? So, you know, we, we were talking a little bit earlier about continuous discovery and how do we get out of this mode of like planning a roadmap for an entire year that 
we all know come Q2 of next year is going to look completely different. So like this roadmap that we built is probably crap <laughs> because we're going to learn a whole lot. And how do we get in that mode? And, you know, 10 months later, and we're, we're still in this like planning a full year mode and, and we're really working through like, how do we change that? And like I said, it, it's hard to change that on a dime. I strongly empathize with what you're describing. I have personally spent a lot of time in the last month on roadmapping, like even multi-year roadmaps. And I'm just like, I'm reminded very much, fantastic book uh, for, for people to read if product roadmaps relaunched. Are you familiar with this one? I, I haven't read it yet, but it's, it is on my list. My read is that there's sort of two big camps here. One camp has been beautifully championed by Marty Kagan, which is, you know, screw roadmaps. We, we all know they're bullshit. Just have a strong vision and then do OKRs. And if you do that well, you're going to be golden. I think that's probably a good way to do it. Then there's the other environment where everybody still depends on roadmaps. And I think this book, which I'll be interviewing one of the authors, C. Todd Lombardo, for the show, is really, really useful. If you are going to be in a roadmap culture, like if that's if that's not going away, I think this is a really, really good resource for people. So check out that book, Product Roadmaps Relaunched. I think you might really like it. The product teams I'm leading right now, there's a lot of stakeholders involved. I think the biggest thing it's helped me do is navigate that process and really start to add in some clear terminology. So we were talking before we hit record about some of the struggles of doing this, right? And one of the ones I think you were saying is like, it's really hard when you have, for example, somebody from the sales organization who's like, hey, what's the roadmap? I got to know what I can sell in six months, nine months, whatever. And it's like, how do you navigate that? How is that going for you so far? Like, what? I'm, I'm curious, maybe we can get in here and, and break some new ground. Yeah, I'm actually kind of surprised this is the, the first time that Marty Kagan's name is going to come up, right? Because we, we sing it at 15.5. Most of the product team sings from the Marty Kagan hymn book. Although we haven't completely been able to get there, I want to get where he what he talks about, which is everything you just said, right? Create a really strong vision, have product teams that are provided with a strategy and a direction that they need to go in and a, a strong set of outcomes that they are trying to go after. And then trust that you've hired super smart people that are going to talk to your customers and figure out what those outcomes need to be and ideas around those outcomes and, and let them go build them with really clear set of KPIs that you're going to use to, uh, to measure those. So it's, but it's tough because you're right. I mean, the reality is you've got uh, account executives and, and SDRs who are on the phone with prospects and they want to be able to talk about like all the things that are coming. And, you know, every customer is, and this is another reality in B2B software, right? Because you've got customers that are coming to you with an RFP with like the, the boxes that they want to be able to pick off. And they're comparing your boxes to your competitors' boxes and who ticks the most boxes is, is who's going to win. And it's really hard for product to be able to, you know, predict like, yeah, this is, these are the boxes that we're going to be able to tick over the next next 12 months. Like it's just not realistic. So what we're trying to pull off this year is coming to the table with a, again, a strong vision of this is where we plan to be by the end of the year. And this is where having great designers helps, like being able to literally draw a picture of, of what that looks like. And the problems that we plan to solve by the end of the year, having a very crisp vision and plan for what we plan to do over the next three to four months and then a slightly less crisp, slightly more vague plan for what we plan to do over you know, the next three to six months. And then really just these are the things we're exploring in, in the latter half of the year. So we're still in that process right now. And I keep at every leadership meeting where roadmap comes up, I keep teeing up this idea that like, you're not going to get a list of features. You're just, you're not going to get a list of features because that's just not what we're going to deliver, right? We're going to deliver, you know, really clear set of outcomes for the first half of the year. 
We're going to tell you the things that we're going to be exploring for the second half of the year. And we've got to really sort of figure out how we get sales to, to talk about that. And I think having a really tight relationship between product and in our case, it's, it's the, our, our revenue organization that owns both sales and customer success, having that really tight relationship so that, you know, we can be talking about them, the things that are coming and give them the confidence that when we say we're going to do something, we are actually going to deliver it because we wouldn't have put it on the roadmap if we didn't have a ton of confidence where that roadmap that you may have gotten before that had this thing that we were going to do nine months from now. Like, did you have confidence in that? Because have confidence in it when we put it on the roadmap. So I, I think, again, that that's where that having those, those good relationships and having trust and having your R&D organization only signing up for something when there's a high level of confidence that it's actually going to be delivered and having sales sell to just that is, uh, is the trick. And we definitely don't have it figured out, but we're, but, but that's the path that we're on. Yeah, for sure. I, I believe Marty calls that a, you know, I think he calls it high integrity commitments, right? Like there's certain things where we got to do the discovery first, but then once we do feel confident, then we will make a, a real commitment to it. One of the things that's been interesting just on this topic specifically, I went into the the same thing like a month ago when I started reading that book and, and talking with the author with that question where I'm like, wait, I drink deep from the Marty Kagan gospel. I'm like, I think he's right. So how do we square this circle? And as I'm exploring it, I'm not 100% on this yet, but it seems to be working in practice is there's, uh, I think it's an issue of terminology in the sense that most people, when they use the term roadmap, what they really mean is project plan. They are looking for like, tell me what I have in hand on November 6th next year. And it's like, I'm sorry, I can't do that. But what we can do, and, and this is where I think actually these two sort of different camps actually end up coming together and, and agreeing, is when the roadmap becomes almost like a prototype for your strategy. And it's saying, okay, I'm not going to tell you this specific like list of features, but I'm going to have like, here are the big themes we're going after. Here's the big problems we're solving. When it's at that level, and it's really more of a, a document that's communicating strategic intent, that's where I sort of find these two camps sort of coming together and, and Re reuniting because it seems like that's in my experience so far more of what sales for example is looking for is like cool you know i i can't i understand you can't promise me feature x next you know tuesday in 18 months but if i understand at least where you're going i can sell against that how does, does that open anything up or totally and, and i think one of the advantages that we have is our sales team is really really good about getting customers to explain what their problems are right so if a customer and they all do this Right. Like I said before, they come with their checklist. Like these are the 27 features that I need to have. Our sales team is great about saying, okay, well, you, you, you mentioned that you want employee engagement and, and you wanted to do these five things. Well, well, what is it about your strategy that will help you get there? And they really are very, very good about digging deep and, and helping understand what problems customers are able to solve. So because they're able to do that and they're sort of translating those tick boxes into outcomes. And if we have a roadmap that is really based more so on outcomes and like you said, problems that we will eventually solve. I do think that's where these two things can kind of come together. But if you have a sales organization, that's just like they're selling to the checkboxes. It's really an uphill battle. That's why I said, I feel like because of the relationship that we have with our sales organization, because we have an organization that is inclined to talk about customer problems in that way, that that's where it'll, it'll come together. Yeah. Two other tricks that I've learned, I haven't had the chance to test them myself, but just conceptually, they seem like they they make sense to me. In particular, I, I've really learned a lot from a guy named Rich Miranov, who I had on the show really early on, who I, I just think is one of these like just total, I think a lot of people in Silicon Valley call him like the product mensch. He's just this really generous, wonderful guy. And two things he talked a lot about were one was, I believe he calls it forcing the XOR conversation, the exclusive OR conversation at the executive level. So forcing the XOR conversation is this idea that everybody thinks you can just 
keep adding to the roadmap. But that's that doesn't really work because we only have so much time, so many, so much energy, etc. And so there has to be the trade-offs conversation. And it's often the product leader's job to say, okay, well, if we're adding that, what else is changing? Like, what are we taking off? And and forcing the trades is is sort of one big uh, tactic, I guess you can you can call it. And then the second one is something he talked about, cultivating a relationship with your counterpart in the revenue side of the house. And often a problem for B2B teams is like the special, right? The sales special. And so he talked about this trick of where he would give them, basically, uh, he would look at the incentives with them, with the sales leader. And then they would also have like an agreement that they got like one sales special a quarter. But it was like, literally, he gave this, the, the VP of sales, like a, he called it the magic bullet. He gave them an empty bullet cartridge. That's good. And they had to come to him and hand him the bullet cartridge for requesting that special and then they got it back the next quarter but unless if but like so that way the next time it happened they would look in their desk and they didn't have the cartridge anymore and they're like damn it i used my special for the quarter so i don't know there might be some tricks there that's great that's great i have to say we're, we're really lucky our chief revenue officer i would say he's probably one of the more product-minded rev ops people that i've i've worked with right because Sure. Like we've had occasions where, you know, we, we recently sealed a deal with like one of the largest customers that we've ever had at 15.5. And there was one particular thing that we, that they needed that we didn't have on the roadmap. And it was this conversation of, okay, do we scramble and get this done to seal this deal? And it was big enough that it absolutely made sense for us as an organization to pivot and do that. And it happened somewhat early on in my tenure. And I didn't want to give my team the impression that I was going to be one of these product leaders. It was just going to sort of like roll over, right? Anytime in the rev work said, oh, we, you know, we need this thing. So it was, you know, it was, it was a decision that I, I wanted to make together as, as a team and like really made sure that my team was on board with doing that because I've been part of some of those organizations where it's like, you're, you're constantly chasing the unicorn and like that deal, that deal needs this thing and that deal needs that thing. And, and every time you're just completely thrown off any plans that you had and uh, it's just, it's just not, not the right way to to run product. So I don't know, maybe I'll have to come up with, with some sort of token for Brad McGinnity, who's our, uh, our, our CRO. Yeah. I'll have to come up with something for like him. A, so he gets one. Some virtual token. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. But you know, it's like, Hey, when you're a product manager, you say no way more than you say less, right? Like yeah. I mentor a, a lot of people that come from other parts of, of technology and want to be product managers. And uh, that's one of the things I tell them all the time is like, you, you've got to be comfortable with saying no, because you're going to say no a lot more than you say yes. And if you're saying yes to everything and nothing ever comes off the list, then it's chaos. And it's just no way to, to run a product. So how do you coach people through that? To me, in, in making those decisions, it's all about data, right? It's all about, yes, you think this is the most important thing, but I'm, I'm going to assess the value of the thing that you want versus the value of the thing that we're already doing. We will make the decision based upon the thing that has the higher business value and what's more aligned to the customer problems we're trying to solve and what's more aligned to our business strategy. So if you have a good framework for how you're making your prioritization decisions, it's a whole lot easier to say no because it's not just, well, I don't like you and I'm saying no because I like that team more than I like that team. You know, sorry, customer success. We like sales more. Like, no, right now our strategy is you know, to acquire customers in, you know, this segment of the market and to go after these specific problems and what they're asking for aligns to that. And, and we, we can see the value and there's revenue numbers that are attached to building the certain thing because we're going to reduce our losses by X percent. If you're not using a framework like that to make your decisions, then yeah, you just have chaos. Yeah. Any sort of prioritization framework is better than none. It almost doesn't matter which one you're using. Yeah. <laughs> 
I just feel like as long as it's based on data, like it's hard to argue with, right? Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing I found is that people seem to really, really care universally across cultures about procedural justice, even if they don't get their way. If they feel like they got heard and the process was fair, usually it's okay. And, and one way I found that's helpful is like you can sort of point to something and say like, this is the process we are going to use. Like it's this, this is how we rank things. And then they're like, okay, well, I, you know, and then it like externalizes it a little bit and it's, I don't know, it feels less personal. Yeah. When they don't get their way. Well, one, one of the other things that we've been talking about a lot lately is uh, what we call do less and obsess, right? So we, we catch ourselves as an organization, as just the product team, as an organization, we catch ourselves all the time with like the next thing that comes in the door and the next good idea that comes in the door and, oh, we should do that too. And, oh, we should do that too. Yep. And the next thing you know, Shiny you come objects, around and lots of them. it's, uh, right, You're, every, everyone's just overwhelmed. So having that as, uh, as an agreement that we all have with each other, that we are all going to try and do less and obsess it's easy for me to turn around and say, well, no. And, and, and here's why <laughs> that's really difficult. And that a lot of product managers probably don't have the reality of is that our team uses our product, right? Our senior team uses our product. Every employee in our company uses our product and everybody's got lots of great ideas. And most of the, and everybody's got things about our product that drive them crazy. Having conversations with our CEO about, yes, we know that this thing drives you nuts, but customers don't complain about it. So yeah, we're they don't not. care. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It, it, it makes for interesting conversations. Oh, I bet. Well, I want to go ahead and start to close out here with a couple of rapid fire questions. Short questions. Your answers can be however long you feel. The first one that I like to ask people is, what is the thing that you would say you know best? It's not really one thing. It's not, I don't think it's the thing that I know best, but I think that the one thing that I'm really good at is taking a big, gnarly, hairy issue and just like really kind of pulling out like the, you know, the threads on it until you really get to like the heart of what the issue is, right? Because most times when, when there's some sort of issues, especially in, in what we do, the issue never presents itself as to like what it, what it really is. I think I'm really good at just like sort of like peeling that back and sort of figuring out, oh, okay, like, Here's the thing that we really need to solve. So I don't know if it's like a, the thing that I'm good at, but I think it's the, the one strength that I have. I was also going to ask you, especially considering this is a this is a big thing at 15.5, what's your current understanding of like zone of genius? Yeah. So <laughs> this sounds so for, for a product leader, my zone of genius is strategy. <laughs> 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 like whose isn't right if you're in you're in our role but i do think it is being able to articulate a vision and understanding uh, the vision and being able to in very plain english explain how we get there and having that resonate with not just people that are in the product team or even in you know the designer engineering team but explaining that in a way that it resonates with the full organization getting people excited about it i would consider that my my zone of genius awesome I love that. Yeah. And, and just a quick shout out again to uh, Laura Garnett's work. We'll link to that episode in the show notes, which is, uh, it's good stuff. I found it very, very useful. So I hope everybody listening checks that out. The next one is, uh, you know, what is a quote or a saying or a phrase that's important to you, you know, that you return to often and that speaks to you? And what about it speaks to you? So I'm a big fan. I follow him on Twitter, Neil deGrasse Tyson, you know, the, the physicist, oh, yes. right? Yes. So He's hilarious on Twitter, by the way. It's like super, super entertaining. And I, I'm an admirer of his because he can take such a like ridiculously com complex set of topics and make them not only understandable, but entertaining. Um, I just think that that's like, that's like pure genius if, if you can do that. But he has a quote and it's, I, I'm probably going to fumble this, but it's something like the nice thing about science is it's true, whether you believe it or not. 
And <laughs> I think in life that applies, like I think especially in today's climate, it, it applies an awful lot. But in terms of what we do, it's the conversation we were having before about data. It's like, these are facts and these are the facts, whether you want to acknowledge them or not, these are the facts. And I just think that's like such a wonderful way to sort of view the world because there are there are things that are just truths. And I think it's kind of unfortunate that we are in a world where it is people dispute truth and it's hard to know what's true, right? If you've seen the social dilemma on Netflix, like that's the, the primary theme in that, right? Which is people don't even know what's real anymore. And we're all being fed lots of information and it's hard to parse that out. So it's like that quote kind of brings me back to this, the, the concept of just grounding yourself in facts and seeing the world from a fact-based point of view is just kind of how I how I like to approach my job. Yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, if, if you think about one of the things I believe is that the, the que- it's the questions we're asking that drive a lot of our behaviors and the results that we create in our lives. And so I'm curious, given everything we've talked about, is there a question that you would have the listener start asking themselves, something you think would make a demonstrable and positive shift for them? Just how am I showing up at work, right? Who is, who is the person that I want my coworkers to see every day, right? And just, am I showing up in a positive way? Am I showing up in an open way? Am I open to change? You know, am I, am I being adaptable? You know, am I truly viewing my coworkers from the frame of, you know, uh, assume positive intent? right? It's, it's, it's in how we show up. And if you're a leader, it's in how you show up for your team. And the words we use are just so important. Um, it's, uh, and, and our demeanor is so important when we're leading teams. So that's something I try to think about every day is like, especially, you know, days like we're not so feeling so great. And how do I show up today? And uh, sometimes I'll just be super honest with people and be like, you know what, like my IEP today is probably about a four. And just, I'm just, I'm just going to lay that out, but that's where I am today. And it's funny how a lot of times uh, if, if someone does approach or start out a meeting with a really low IEP, there is this sense of like, we're going to, we're going to help this person. We're going to help lift them up. And, you know, you sometimes you walk away from the meeting, you're like, all right, I actually feel better now. Like I started at a four, I'm probably better at eight now. Like I'm, I'm yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. Or at least I feel heard, which helps. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, how, how am I going to show up today? Whether I'm like at a 10 and I'm feeling great or, or I'm at a four. One trick I've, I like to do sometimes, not so much on that, like the IEP thing, but if it's like a, like a one-on-one with somebody, or I do this for myself, like when I do the, the genius habit every week, uh, when I do like her spreadsheet and stuff, I'll give it a, like a one to 10 rating, right? I'll say, you know, how, how am I feeling this week? But the trick is no sevens because seven is the fence. And so it forces me to confront like, well, is it a six or is it an eight? Try try playing with that if you haven't, like one to 10, no sevens. That's great. Oh, I, I do. I like that because I, you know, it's funny you said that because I think about all the times that I, I, I did probably say I was at a seven. It was one of those days where I'm like, eh, like I'm not really sure how I'm feeling. Because then you're like, well, no, damn it. It's a six. And then you're like, all right, it's a six. Why is it a six? <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, so anyways. And one thing I'm always curious about is the influences that have shaped us, right? And so I'm curious, who or what would you say has really, really influenced you in the way you show up? I have been extraordinarily lucky in my career to have worked for really, really good leaders. Like from my first job at ADP, like back in the mid nineties, all the way on through. And I've, and it's funny because I see in myself some of the traits that I've, I've uh, adopted over the years from some of the leaders that I've had. And, you know, I think that's why that, that manager relationship is so important. Right. And, uh, you know, the old saying of people don't leave companies, they, they leave their managers. And it's, it's really, really true. Just like quick, uh, quick story. When I was at ADP, I got the opportunity to work with Marcus Buckingham because uh, uh, ADP acquired his company. 
He's a thought leader in the world of performance management and executive coaching and first break all the rules. That that was his first book. And I, I read his book many, many years ago and was like completely um, on board with a lot of what he had to say. And then come to find out that ADP was acquiring his company. And then I got the opportunity to work with him, which was like awesome. But anyway, he does this exercise where um, we did it at one of our, our uh, senior leadership meetings, big group of people. And he had everyone draw a circle on a piece of paper. And it's that's your boardroom and your boardroom table and write down all of the people in your life that love you, care about you, are important to you and want to see you succeed, right? And write down who those people are. And then after everyone did that, he had everyone, you know, stand up if you, you know, put down your, you know, your daughter, right? Stand up if you, you know, if you you put down your son or, you know, and then uh, of course, the, those are the people that are important to us. How many people put their their accountant? Of course, nobody raises their hand, right? <laughs> How many people put their doctor? You know, nobody raises their hand. How many people put their manager? And of course, just about like a manager that you've had before and almost everyone raises their hand, right? So it's like, the person who takes care of your finances is not important to you. The person who, who keeps you healthy is not important to you. But your manager, you put in the same group of people as your mother, your sister, your wife, your husband. That's how important that relationship is. So when you think about how you show up for your teams, think about that, that they're putting you in that category. That relationship is just super important. And like I said, I've been really, really lucky to have some really good leaders uh, through the years that have influenced me and have mentored me. And many I still have like close relationships with today. How have they shaped you? She's just, first of all, she's one of the smartest people I've ever met in my life. And she's just a really practical person. And I think like I've, I've inherited a lot of that pragmatism from her. Uh, she's also a person that taught me to, to set my boundaries that she has this expression that she used to use all the time, which was, it will take everything you have if you let it, right? Which basically means if you don't draw that line for yourself of where work ends and your personal life begins, you'll never find that balance. And there will always be another reason to spend another hour on something at work. So that's for you to find where that that balance is. And I give that advice to everyone on my team. Like it will take everything you have if you let it. So take that personal day that you want to take because you need it. <laughs> right. So that's really kind of how she's uh, shaped me. And I'm like really lucky that she's uh, still in my life. That's fantastic. Thank you for sharing that. So first of all, Diane, thank you for being here. Thank you for doing the work you're doing and uh, for everything you, your team, 15.5 is doing to you know transform the manager and teammate relationship, because as you just alluded to, it's important. Just in closing out, what would you like to leave the audience with and, and where can people find you or 15.5 online and follow what you're up to? Yeah. So I'm on LinkedIn and Twitter, but uh, you can you can find us at 15.5.com. And like you suggested before, I would definitely recommend the podcast. Uh, it's um, David and Shane, and they also have lots of great guests and super inspiring conversations. So I would uh, encourage everybody to check that out. Awesome. Well, thank you so much and keep up the great work. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review us on iTunes. That helps us reach way more people and build this community up.